If you will, open to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 will be our text uh, this evening. Uh, tonight's message is not part of a series. It's, it's just uh, a standalone message. Uh, but I do think that the message tonight, I, I really believe, is one of the most important messages that uh, we all need to hear and we need to understand in our lives. And I'm not, under, I'm not overselling that. I really believe that. Um, the message tonight is not so important because I'm preaching it, but simply what this message is and what this message means for all of us is vitally important for every single moment of every single part of all of our lives. And so I hope that uh, you'll go away tonight at least taking something with you that will remind you of this message because it is, again, vital to how we live our lives for the Lord. Now, I did say I was going to give you some warm fuzzies tonight. Uh, I mentioned that this morning, and uh, I'm looking at my notes, and hopefully there'll be a few in here. Uh, Maybe towards the end we'll get there. Uh, But Colossians chapter 1. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts tonight. Help us, Lord, to see clearly what it is that you want us to see. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to our hearts tonight. Even, Lord, to the, to the youngest ones, Lord, that they would catch a vision tonight for you and your kingdom in their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask, start by asking a question. What is God doing? What is God doing? You ever, you ever wonder that? You ever look at your life and say, God, what are you doing in my life? I, I don't see how this fits together. I don't, I don't see what exactly it is that you're doing. Do you ever feel like, God, are you even there? Do you even see what's, what's happening here in, in my life? Have you ever found yourself asking that question before? I know I have it a few times in my life. If you broaden out the picture a little bit and you look at your your family, do you ever ask, God, what are you doing in my family? Are you doing anything? God, I'm praying. God, I'm asking. God, I'm seeking. I'm knocking, Lord, on doors. God, are you working in my family? What are you doing? What are you up to in my family? Moving beyond your family, looking at our community. We live in a great city, San Antonio, and, and there's a part of uh, San Antonio, there's different communities, and all of us are part of a, a neighborhood, a, a local uh, place where, where we live. And as we look across our, our neighborhoods, as our, we look across our apartments or, or wherever it is that we live, maybe you live out in the country and you're all by yourself, God bless you. That's the dream for all of us one day, I think, probably. But we, we look across our community and we say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing in our community? What are you doing in our city? As we zoom out even for, further, we, we look at our nation. We say, God, what are you doing? Are you working? Do you, do you see what is happening in our nation? The, the, the great sins that are being committed, the great uh, way that our nation is rebelling against you? What are you doing? And then finally, we look at our world. We look at our world that is in so much chaos. We look at our world that is in so much turmoil. We look at our, war, our, our world and there's wars in Ukraine and there's Russia and there's China and Taiwan and now we have Israel and Palestine and all of this conflict. We have uh, people flooding into our country from all over the place at our border and, and it just seems like the economy is going cr- God, what are you doing? Am I the only one that from time to time looks at these things and wonders what God is up to, what God is doing? God is doing something. The Bible tells us, Jesus says, that the Father is always working, that he never takes a day off. So God is always working. He's always working on something. And the question before us this evening is, do we know what that is? Do we know what God is doing? Do we know what God 
is working on. Can we know what that is? And the answer is yes, we can. We can know what God is doing. And I, I think that God wants his people to know this. Because he's revealed it to us in his word. It's not some mystery. It's not that we have to go and, and search and, and it's not plain to see. In fact, it's abundantly plain to see as I'll show you here this evening. We can know what God is doing. God wants his people to know what he is doing so his people can tell the rest of the world, this is what's going on. God's people should have an answer for what's going on in our world. And in fact, we do have an answer. The only question is, do we know what that answer is? So Colossians chapter 1 Verse 15, we're going to read through uh, tonight through verse 22. Colossians 1, 15 through 22. Speaking of Jesus, the Apostle Paul writes, he says that he, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. That, that firstborn of all creation is speaking of his resurrection from the dead, the, the firstborn of the new creation. You could read it that way. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It's really important that we see that. Everything was made by Jesus. Everything that was made by Jesus, which is everything, was made for Jesus. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. That's number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This passage tells us clearly what God is doing in the world. We see it here in verse 20. Verse 20 says that through Christ, God the Father is reconciling to himself all things. This is what God is doing in the world. This is what God is doing right now. He is reconciling. He is bringing back to himself all things. Now the question arises, if God is the creator and he is, why does his creation need to be brought back to him? Why does his creation need to be reconciled to him? This language of reconciliation, it, it speaks of, of two parties that are at odds with one another. They're at odds. They're, they're, they're contrary to one another. They, they need a mediator to reconcile them, to bring them back together. How many of you have ever needed that before? You've been in a relationship and... And this person is dug in in this position. And this person is dug in, in in that position. And you need a mediator who can come and bring the parties back together. Why does creation, why does the world, why does everything need to be reconciled back to God? Well, we know that we need to be reconciled to God because we are alienated because of our sin. That we have sinned against God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a single one of us in here who is not a sinner, both by nature and by choice. In our natural state, we are sinful. We are hostile towards God. 
He says that here in verse 21, that we were hostile, alienated in mind, doing evil deeds. All of us at one point in our lives, we were there, amen? Even though God created us, even though God made us, even though God knit us together in our mother's womb, as we entered into this world, we became sinners. We were born into sin. We were born under sin. And then we chose to sin. Sin, of course, we know is breaking God's commandments. We've all broken God's commandments. We've all chosen sin instead of submission to Christ, to God. And so now we are alienated because God is holy. All things created by him, all things created for him. You were created by God for God. You were created for God. You were created for his glory. You were created to to show forth his his power, his might, his character, his nature, his glory in your life as you live a life in submission to him. But all we like sheep have gone astray. Created by him and for him, but because of sin, things and people are no longer fulfilling the purpose for which God has made mankind. As we look at the world today, we see a world in sin. We see a world in rebellion against its creator. But verse 20 says that we have peace with God through the blood of the cross of Christ. That the wages of sin is death and Jesus took our wages upon his back on that tree. That there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And so Christ shed his own blood. Born of a woman, born as a man, living a life without sin, going to the cross to lay down his sinless life in the place of sinners. Why did he do this? To bring us back to God, to reconcile us to God. Through the work of Christ, here it says in verse 20, God is restoring and returning the world to its original intent, to the purpose for which he created, reconciling all things, all peoples of the world, back to the purpose, back to the plan, back to his original design. And this is the good news. You see, our world is not hopeless because the tomb is empty. Our world is not hopeless because there is hope in Christ. There is hope in Christ. That in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. This is God's project. This is what God is working on. This global plan of reconciliation. He says that through him to reconcile to himself not some things, Not just a a few little pockets of faithful believers here and there while the world goes to hell. No, he is reconciling all things to himself. This plan is global. This plan is cosmic. In fact, in Romans 8, it tells us that even the natural creation is groaning itself, longing for the day where there will be a new creation, a new heavens, and a new earth. What are the all things that he is reconciling to himself? Well, it lists them earlier in in, in the chapter, in verse 16. By him all things were created. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities all things created through him and all things created for him. 
These are the things that he is reconciling to himself. All things, all peoples, all places. Notice here he mentions both heaven and earth. Earth, he's, when he says earth, he's speaking of the natural realm. That, that's the, the place of our senses. The things that we can see and taste and touch and feel and hear. The natural realm. God is reconciling that to himself. The realm of nature. But he's also reconciling the heavenly realm to himself. That's the spiritual realm. That's the place of thoughts and ideas and philosophies. God is even redeeming our thought life to himself. Right? Taking every thought captive. Making it obedient to Christ. This is God's big picture. This is what God is doing in the world today. What is God doing in the world today? He is reconciling all things to himself. He is bringing all peoples back to himself through Christ. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to reconciliation. There's only one way to peace. There's only one way to love and to joy. And that is through Christ. It is through Christ that God reconciles the world to himself. There's no other pathway to peace anywhere except through the cross of Christ. There will not be peace in the Middle East until they submit to the cross of Christ. There will not be forgiveness. There will just be war and more death and more bloodshed and more chaos and more confusion and, and, and just total obliteration. That's all there is without Christ. The work of the enemy is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. So the idea that there will be peace between Russia and Ukraine, between China and Taiwan, between Israel and Palestine, separated from Christ, it's a fool's errand. It's fool's gold. It's anti-Christ thinking. That, that, that we could find someone, that we could elect someone that could bring peace. There's no peace without Christ. There's no peace without the Prince of Peace. We as God's people have to know this. Or we will get swept up in the lies of the politicians who promise peace. But if they themselves are not submitted to the Lordship of Christ... If the peoples themselves will not submit to Christ, there will be no peace because there will be no forgiveness. What's the answer for Israel and Hamas? Forgiveness. How can they forgive one another for what has been done? It is only when they recognize their own sin before a holy God and experience the forgiveness that only Christ brings that we can then turn and forgive our neighbor. That's it. There's no, other, there's no other way. There's no other way for there to be true and real and lasting peace without first the prince of peace. What is God doing in the world? He is calling all peoples, all places, all nations back to himself. He is reconciling all things back to himself through the cross of Christ. He is redeeming everything, it says, that in everything he might be preeminent. All things created by him, through him, and for him. We were created to live for Christ. We were created to, to image our creator. And it's not until we are reconciled to Christ and begin to submit to his word that we begin to show forth the glory of God. And so through now Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Christ is seated on a throne, preeminent over all things. As King of kings and Lord of lords, calling all people to himself. In this worldwide, all-encompassing reconciliation and restoration project, this is what God is doing, and this project has a name. Do you know what the name of this project is? 
God's global plan of reconciliation and restoration of all things, it has a name. The name for this project is called the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. This is what God is doing in the world today. He is building his kingdom. God's global plan of restoration, of bringing all things back to himself in terms of his word, submitting to him, forgiven of our sins through the cross of Christ, submitted to the lordship of Christ. This is called the kingdom of God. Now, because we are at Christ is King Church, I do not need to walk you through the fact that Christ's kingdom has been established. That, that God's kingdom was established when Jesus walked the earth. That he brought from heaven to earth the kingdom of God and he established it. We understand that. You, you, you've seen it all through scripture. We've, we've seen Jesus preached, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We, we've seen over and over again that where Jesus taught that he established his kingdom, that he cast out demons by the power of the kingdom of God, that, that the kingdom was established and that the kingdom, Jesus said, would grow and grow and grow. Like leaven, yeast put in a lump of dough, it would eventually fill that whole lump. The kingdom will eventually fill the whole earth. Like the mustard seed planted in a garden, it's so small, it's so tiny, but eventually that mustard tree grows to dominate the whole garden. So we know that the kingdom was established, that through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, the kingdom of God was started by Christ. And in Matthew 28, we, we know this passage well. Let's go over there quickly, Matthew chapter 28, just to, to remind ourselves the Great Commission. I want you to understand what Jesus said here at the end of Matthew chapter 28, the end of Matthew's gospel, it is in terms of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He was about to ascend into heaven. Verse 18, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus says, I'm the king. I'm king of kings and lord of lords. I have all authority. I have all power. That through my, my life, my death, my resurrection, my soon ascension, I have defeated Satan. Satan is a defeated foe. The church needs to get that. Satan is defeated. All authority belongs to Christ. That's either true or it's not. There's no like middle ground where it's like, well, some authority belongs to Christ and then some doesn't. No. Jesus lays claim to everything. All authority in heaven. Again, many people will say yes and amen to that. But that's not where Jesus stopped. He said all authority in heaven and on earth. Listen, Jesus is the king of this nation. That's why we put that sign out there. Christ is king. He's king of everything. He's king of everyone. I know that sometimes we use this terminology and, and I've even said it too and, and I, I repent of it. I hope to never say it again, but people say this terminology. They say, you need to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Listen, no one has ever made Jesus the Lord of their life. He is Lord of their life. All we do is acknowledge his lordship. But I don't make him Lord. I don't crown him king. He has been crowned. I must acknowledge it. I must submit to it. But I don't make Christ Lord. I don't make Christ King. He is King. He is Lord. He has received the kingdom from his Father as he defeated Satan on the cross. Satan is a defeated foe. Colossians chapter 2 says he put Satan to open shame at the cross. 
Satan is defeated and all authority belongs to Christ. And again, notice he doesn't say all authority will be given to me someday in the future when I return in 2,000 years, 3,000 years, whatever it is, then I'll have all authority. No, what does he say? Has been given to me. What this means is that Christ had all authority in heaven and on earth 2,000 years ago, and there hasn't been some sort of cosmic coup that has dethroned him from heaven's throne. He still has all authority in heaven and on earth. Right now. Right now. So he says, because of that, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. What is a disciple? It's someone who follows Christ. And he says how we do this. We do it through evangelism and teaching them to obey the word of God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the picture of evangelism, bringing them into the kingdom. Baptism. In verse 20, teaching them to observe, to obey all that I have commanded you. And as you get about this, as you get about expanding my kingdom through evangelism and discipleship, he says, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, Satan is not king. Jesus is king. Christ is king. He's not just king of heaven, he's king of earth. He's not just king in some cosmic sense. No, he is king in a personal sense. He is your king. And those people out there, guess what? He is their king. And in every every congress and every state house across this nation, he's king there too. And in every presidential palace and in every royal uh, castle upon this whole earth, Christ is king there too. Christ is king of heaven and of earth. He is king now and forever. This is what Jesus taught us about himself. This is why Jesus taught us to seek first his kingdom, to seek to expand his kingdom. This is why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth. When we pray that prayer, what are we praying? We're praying that the the peoples of the earth would submit to the lordship of Christ. That's what we're praying. I pray that our president would submit to the lordship of Christ. To bow the knee to Christ. To stop living in open rebellion against Christ. And I pray that same prayer for you. And I pray that same prayer for this community because Christ is king over all. Again, we read these words. We talk about a kingdom. And oftentimes we don't even think about what it means because we don't live in an earthly kingdom. Yes, Christ's spiritual kingdom is over all, but we don't live in a kingdom. We live in a constitutional republic. We don't have a monarchy. We have a constitution. But there is a kingdom that we are a part of. And every kingdom, I've shared this with you before in different contexts. I want to share it again tonight. Every kingdom has five things to make up a kingdom. It used to be four, but I thought of a fifth one, so I added it to the bottom. And they all mysteriously start with the letter P. I worked really hard to make them all start with P. What is the first one? Some of you have have heard this teaching before. Number one, the first P is the what? The person. The person. Who is the person? Who is the king in the kingdom of God? It's Christ. It's Jesus. Number two is... No, that's three. I even, I even listed the, I made it long enough so that it would line up the, the people or the population. The population, that's the people, that's the citizens. Who are the people over which Christ rules and reigns? It's everybody. It's everybody. Now, we don't see everyone submitted to his lordship, but that's what God is working on in the world, reconciling all things to himself and so we have people who live as citizens of the kingdom 
You and I are a part of those people who live as kingdom citizens, but there's a whole vast masses of people that don't live as citizens of the kingdom, though Christ lays claim to being their king. The third is the what? The the place. That's the the territory, the land, the, the borders. Let me ask you, is there a place over which Christ does not reign? Can can a nation quarantine itself off from the reign of Christ? Can North Korea declare, no, Christ does not reign here? No, they cannot. There is no limit to the reign of Christ. It is over all the earth. He is the king of all kings and the Lord of all lords. There's not a single place in heaven and earth over which Christ does not claim dominion. Number four is the precepts. That's the laws, the commandments. Jesus taught the the precepts. He taught to obey all that I have commanded. That's the, the, the laws. That's as we've been walking through Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, the the commandments of Christ, how we live as a part of his kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. That if Christ is king and he is and we are citizens of his kingdom and we are, we ought to recognize his lordship by obeying his laws and his commandments. Amen? And number five, this is the new one. This is the product. And that's the results of living in that kingdom. Every nation has a GDP, gross domestic product, something that they produce, something that is the result of living as a part of that nation or as a result of that kingdom. And let me underscore for you that there are innumerable, immeasurable blessings that come from living as a part of the kingdom of God. The blessings of the kingdom. The blessings of the kingdom. And so Christ is the king. Everyone belongs to him. Every place belongs to him. And it is his laws. And it is his blessings. That is his kingdom. And Christ calls all of us, every single person in the world, to live as citizens of his kingdom Submitting our lives to him. Living in terms of his law. In terms of his word. Now when you came in tonight. I gave you a little piece. I gave everyone a little puzzle. I want everyone to get out their little puzzle here tonight. As you look at your little puzzle piece. Without comparing it to your neighbor, can any of you, if you had to guess what the picture was by looking at your piece of the puzzle, what would you guess? What would you guess? Look at your little puzzle piece. What do you think, your, what do you think the picture is? A what? Blue bonnets? Trees? What what was it? A sky? A building? An enchilada platter? I don't know what puzzle you got. I got to see that one. Hey, mine is too, brother. Mine is too. That's some good enchiladas on there. The fact is, let's go to the next slide. It's a lot bigger than what we could see. In fact, the picture is huge. And your little piece is part of that picture. Now, to understand what's going on with this piece... I have to have the bigger picture. I have to see the bigger picture. 
If I don't see the bigger picture, I don't know what this is. And maybe there's an enchilada platter in that castle somewhere. (laughs) But if I don't see that bigger picture, I won't know what this is. I won't even know what it's a part of. It's the bigger picture that gives meaning to the individual pieces. Without that bigger picture and without the other pieces, this is purposeless. This is meaningless. This is disconnected from its intent. And each one of our lives represents a piece of the larger picture of what God is doing in the world. Each one of our lives is like this piece of the puzzle. And the larger picture, the the picture that we need to have in mind, it is the kingdom of God. It is the kingdom of God. God is building his kingdom. God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ. But one of the problems that I see in our world especially, and even within the church, and oftentimes even individual Christians, they find themselves living their lives totally disconnected from the larger picture of what God is doing in the world. Many Christians have no idea of the kingdom of God, no concept of the kingdom of God. They're living out their lives totally disconnected from what God is doing. Totally disconnected from the bigger picture. Some Christians, they believe that their piece of the puzzle, their life, is all that there is. It's the totality of everything. And so not only are they disconnected, but they don't see the bigger picture. They don't even know there's a bigger picture. Some Christians have the wrong picture altogether. They're trying to fit their lives into some other picture, some other version of reality. We see that as we look at the world today. We, We find people trying to fit their lives into a mold, into a shape, contorting themselves into a purpose, into a plan that God never intended, God never created for them. And so for me to understand my life and for you to understand your life, for you to fulfill your God-given purpose, for you to glorify God with your life, you have to know the bigger picture. It's only then will you be able to fit rightly into what God is doing. And hear me in this, every piece matters. Have you ever gotten down to the very end of a puzzle and there's like two or three missing pieces? Isn't that one of the worst things ever? I mean, I I can't think of anything worse than that right now. I mean, other than not having enchiladas tonight. But other than that, I mean, you go through all this work, you go through all this labor, and yeah, it's, it's mostly done, but don't you just have this gnawing sense That something is not right, that something is incomplete, this lack of satisfaction. You see, every piece matters. Every piece is important. Without every piece, without every life, the picture is incomplete. Which means that your life is important. Your life matters. What you bring to the picture is vital to what God is doing in the world in building his kingdom. And so we all must align our lives, ourselves, with the bigger picture. We must live our lives as citizens of the kingdom of God. We must submit ourselves to our king and to his word in every area of thought and life. Where where in your life is there a place where you're not submitted to to Christ? And and here's, here's the thing. God is reconciling all things to himself. God is reconciling the nations to himself. The nations belong to Christ. But guess what? Nations are made up of states and 
And states are made up of cities, and cities are made up of communities, and communities are made up of families, and families are made up of individuals, and individuals are made up of, we have different aspects, many different parts of our lives. And so when I take one part of my life, whatever part that might be, and I submit it to the Word of God, I am building the kingdom of God. I am taking part in what God is doing in the world today, his global plan of restoration. It happens at the individual level. And so my work life, my relational life, my financial life, my political life, my stewardship of my time and my energy, my resources, my treasure, when I submit it to the word of God, that area of my life, I am building the kingdom of God. I am taking part in God's global plan of restoration. And an individual does that, he begins to see, guess what? The blessings of the kingdom of God flow in his life. Nothing will stop the blessings of God more in your life than living in rebellion to God's word. God can't bless rebellion. God can't bless disobedience. And so when you submit your life, every area of thought in life to the word of God, you will begin to see the blessings of God flow. And when you covenant in, as a part of a family and a, and a family begins to, to work together, guess what? You're going to see the blessings of God in that family. And then expand that out to multiple families in a church. That church is going to see the blessings of God flow even in communities, even in cities, even in states and nations. That's why historically our nation has been so blessed is because we submitted our nation, our lives to the word of God. That's why this nation is in so much turmoil today is because we are living in rebellion to the word of God. It's not rocket science. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We must live our lives in terms of the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. Without this bigger picture, we, we can't put the puzzle together, and God is putting it together. We need this bigger vision of the kingdom. If he didn't have the puzzle box, it would be so hard to put that puzzle together. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it would be a whole lot more difficult. And so it is with our lives. It's so much harder to live out our God-given purpose and glorify God if we don't have a vision for his kingdom in the world. And so we are, the, the Bible says that the, the church is to disciple the nations, calling the nations to live in terms of his kingdom. That happens by one individual, one family, one community at a time. And so when I take any area of my life and submit it to the Lordship of Christ, there I see the kingdom of God. And there I see the blessings of God begin to flow. Listen, if you want to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life, the love and the joy and the peace and, and all of the fruits that come from the Spirit of God, guess what? That's the fruit of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is helping you submit to the Word of God. So if you want to have more love and more joy and more peace in your life, submit yourself to the work of the Spirit and you will see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. There is no fruit of the Spirit if you're not submitted to the work of the Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to obey the commandments of Christ. And so if I want the fruit, I must submit to the work. So one final question. I, I asked you, what is God doing in the world? Well, he's reconciling all things to himself in terms of his kingdom through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what he's doing. He, he's taking every area of thought in life and, and he, is, he is bringing it back to its original intent and original purpose in Christ. That's what God is doing in the world. He's on a global scale reconciling all things to himself. 
That's the question I began with. The question I want to end with is what kind of world will Christ return to? We know that Christ is going to return to the world. And when he returns, what kind of world will it be? Will it be a world where the nations were discipled? Or will it be a world where the church failed in its commission? You see, many Christians, I believe, have the wrong vision for the type of world that Christ will return to. If we'll go back to the next picture. Many Christians have this vision of the world. They think that this is the world that Christ is going to return to, a jumbled mess. What that means is that the nations were not discipled. What that means is that the church failed the Great Commission. I don't believe that Jesus is returning for a church that failed. I don't believe that Jesus intended his church to fail. I don't believe that Jesus, his plan for all of human history is for the world to go to hell. I don't believe that. I believe that Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. I believe that God is reconciling all things to himself through Christ throughout human history. Now Satan is is at work. Satan is attacking. Satan is on the prowl seeking whom he may devour. But will Christ return to a world that is a jumbled up mess where the church failed? Or will Christ return to the world that was put right in the power of the Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel, where Christ reconciled all things to himself. This matters. This vision of the world matters. Because a lot of people see what's going on in the world today, and they think that Christ wants to come back to a jumbled up mess, and they see all of the problems in the world, and they say, look, isn't this wonderful? Everything's going according to plan. And I look at that and I say, absolutely not. The plan is for all things to be reconciled to Christ. Christ, I don't believe, is coming for a jumbled up mess. But he is going to return to a world where the nations have been discipled back to himself. Reconciled back to himself. Now, if you look at one last passage here tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 gives us the progression that I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 15 deals with the last day, deals with the the type of church, the type of world that Christ will return to. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Now, now here he's listing an order of events. He's listing here a, a timeline, a, a chronology. Each in its own order. Christ the first fruits, that's the first thing. Christ has risen from the dead. That's the first thing in this progression. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom to God the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Christ is ruling, Christ is reigning, Christ is putting all of his enemies under his feet and he will continue to rule and reign from heaven until the last enemy to be defeated is death. 
And as I look at the world today, I see a jumbled up mess. I see a world that needs to be put right. I see a world where there are many principalities, many powers still living in rebellion against Christ. And so I see a world that needs discipling. I see a world that needs the church to arise with a vision, not of the world going to hell, but a vision of the world being reconciled to Christ. A vision of the kingdom of God that will grow like, like that mustard seed that will en encompass the whole earth like the waters cover the sea. If we have this vision of a jumbled up mess, we will not labor to see the kingdom of God expand. But we must instead have that picture of the kingdom, that right picture, so that we can see that how our lives fit in, how our neighbors' lives fit in, how our community, how our city, how our state, how our nation, and how the whole world fits into God's global plan of redemption and restoration. If you've made it this far, say amen. 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 Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us to see how each part of our lives fit into your global plan of restoration. Lord, help us to have a bigger picture. Help us to see in terms of your kingdom. Lord, help us to submit in every area of our thought and our lives to your word. You are our king. You are the king. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You have given us your word, your commandments. Lord, if we're living in rebellion, we're not living as your citizens. We're not living in a way that your blessings can flow. Lord, help us to submit to your word and help us, Lord, to have a vision for your kingdom to grow and expand in our lives, in our families, in this community. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in San Antonio as it is in heaven, in our families as it is in heaven, in our church, oh God, as it is in heaven, and in our world on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, you would not have taught us to pray this way if you had no intention of answering it. And so, Lord, we, we pray, we intercede, we ask for you to move, and we say, Lord, let it start with us. Let it begin with us. Let, let it start in our lives. Lord, let us not look out at the world and curse the darkness, but let us light a candle, shining forth the, the glorious good news that you are reconciling all the peoples of the world to yourself. Let us have a confidence that this is what you are doing. Let us have a confidence in the blessings that flow from living as a part of your kingdom. And so that we will have a burden to share the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God with everyone that we know in every place that we go so that we might see your blessing flow in our friends and in our family and in our community. We commit all of these things to you tonight. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.